You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor, and you're about to listen to a sermon exhortation from Redemption City Church in just a few minutes. Now, if you don't know, our sermons typically last between one hour and an hour and a half, and for so many people, they've never been a part of a sermon that long. You may say, Pastor Brandon, how do I stay locked in? Well, I want to provide two really important ways to help you so that you can be so confident that you're getting all that God has for you in the text. One, Use our roadmaps. These are fill-in-the-blank guides that are on our website underneath every sermon, and they're printable. This will help you to stay locked in as I'm preaching through the text, and you fill in different helpful things so you can remember what we talked about in the message. Now, here's another thing. Because of COVID-19 kind of running rampant and we're in this global pandemic, so many churches are doing church online, and RCC is one of them. And let's just be honest. Sometimes it's really hard to experience God and to feel the passion that you would do when you're in service and you're hearing a live band playing and a person singing and a person preaching. It's just powerful. But I believe that there's things we can do to close that gap. And one is by creating a sanctuary at home. Like, what does that mean? It means setting your chairs up so that you are sitting up and you're ready and you're in attention to see what God has for you. It may not be wise for you to lay on your couch with your coffee with your blanket on. It produces a different type of an atmosphere. This is also important when you think parentally or as a husband or wife about the discipleship culture of your home. Just think about it. Everybody laying around and lounging versus everybody standing or sitting at attention in a row in front of the TV sets up a different environment and expectation as you engage in the sermon. So matter of fact, if you're not in that posture right now, press pause, use the beauty of technology, set up some chairs, put the food away, and then push play, and I'll be right here ready to talk about great things that God has in the text. Let's do this. Grace and peace. We are back for our final season in Ephesians. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be starting off in verse 18 in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story into God's Story. I want to keep reminding you that this series is all about discovering who you are in light of all that God has provided for you. And then we're learning all the crazy cool things we get to do now that we are in Christ. Now, here remains our faithful aim because, man, even though we're on part 30, we know there are people that are constantly leaning into this series at different segments in time. And so if this is your first time here, here's our hope. Here's our aim. No matter who you are, no matter if you've been studying the Bible your whole life and you would consider yourself a deepening Christian or you're just kind of a wanderer and you're a seeker trying to figure out this whole Christian thing in the first place, we believe if you open your heart and you soften your mind that you can have a living encounter with the God of this Bible, 
the only God, like you've never had before. Now, last week in part 29 of our Ephesian series titled The Power of Submission and the Varying Degrees of Authority in Relationships, we learned that the concept of authority is designed and activated by God and for our relationships so that we can operate and flourish under God and ultimately for His glory. We learned that there are two major areas, right, that the Holy Spirit activates within our lives. Here's number one. The Holy Spirit activates by empowering us to do that which we cannot do on our own. Oh man, that's legit. And number two is that the Holy Spirit activates by empowering us to do that which we often didn't want to do in the first place. But over time, as we walk out our new life in Christ, our desires are transformed and the things we didn't want to do become things we want to do in Christ. We learned that the Christ fo- that Christ followers, us Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians, should not be so mesmerized and wooed and attracted to a system of perspectives in our world and in, our, in, in the sec- secular way of thinking that doesn't promise on what it, deliver, deliver, um, what it promises to deliver us, and that we should not submit ourselves to an authority structure ultimately that cannot deliver on its promises. We learned that the verdict of the world is death, right? And so that can't be the standard and the ultimate authority that we follow. We learned that the spirit-filled person has the ability and the capacity, and check this out, and the learned desire. Wow, this can be learned. You can have a desire to submit and to actually enjoy it. That's that's incredible. And that this whole glad submission thing is all about doing it with God in the picture, folks, and Jesus as the target. We learned that marriage is an incredibly important picture, right, of something far beyond beyond romance and pleasantries and niceties and best friend forever narratives. Those are a part of marriage, but they're not ultimately the point. Instead, God on high, he chose, we talked about this in part 29, he chose to create the institution of marriage to demonstrate to the whole world of some really glorious things that reach far and wildly beyond. Man, everything we're watching on TV, in our movies, and even in the books that we read. We learn that husbands and wives, remember this, are called to submit to one another, right? It's not just about something that the wives are commanded to do, but both husbands and wives are being called to mutually submit to one another. Therefore, the wife is commanded and called and instructed to submit to the command of the Lord. And the way she walks that out is by respecting her husband in all things. But the husband, he's also called and commanded and so instructed instructed to submit to the commands of God. And the primary way that he walks out that command, that submission, is by loving his wife sacrificially and unconditionally and with totality. You see, both sides, folks, are being called to equally submit. They're just being called to submit to some different categories. Okay, now that brings us to today. I'm so excited. And this is part 30 of our Ephesians series titled Spirit-Filled Marriages and Biblical Foundations. And it's going to be all about laying down a wise prescription, a biblical foundation for marriage according to Scripture. Now, now here's the starting question. It's going to be on your screen. Here it is. Is the topic of marriage and what marriage is, and what it's supposed to look like, and what roles are involved, is that a discussion in today's world? 
like 100% it is, right? Like the whole world is talking about relationships between men and women and women and women and men and men and rather marriage is relevant in the first place. There's there's books, there's DVDs, there's counselors, there's programs. Everybody's talking about marriage roles genders and responsibilities however listen today is not going to be a fully exhaustive teaching on marriage like it would literally take us about nine to ten sermons to do that faithfully but we're not here having a topical series on marriage right we're in the middle of the ephesian series where marriage is being talked about we're going to play it open we're not going to run away but it is being talked about folks in light of other critical and vital things that the lord is trying to lay out for us he has things for us about this marriage but it's being it's being talked about in context with some other categories so for today the goal is going to be to march through the text and to establish some simple yet some profound biblical foundations to set us up to have a wise understanding of marriage but it's going to be also to set us up for next week as we discuss marriage but here's the key you ready in light of eternity. And so the goal is going to be threefold today. Here we go. Number one, it's going to be to understand submission and relationships, specifically in this relationship of, of marriage. Number two, it's going to get it's, to, it's about getting you prepared for marriage. If you're not married yet, it's about understanding what marriage is and what marriage is not so that you can feel equipped to make that decision in Christ. And then finally, it's about getting back on track in your marriage. If you're already married, it's about getting back on track so the wheels don't fall off and the way you do that is learning what it means to have God in the picture and Jesus as your ultimate target. Okay, so in a way, uh, this is also going to be a sermon, ready, for singles and widows. Oh, yes, it is, and we're not going to forget about you. And it's going to be about you evaluating. Here's your part. Oh, now it's a marriage It's a marriage sermon. It's not for me. No, 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 no. Singles and widows. This sermon is radically for you because this is your opportunity to evaluate or widow, reevaluate whether marriage is something that God is or perhaps is not calling you towards in the first place because the standard for biblical marriage according to scripture is very clear folks we're going to see that today and next week and that that is really really good news so so with that being said i'm going to read god's word now you amazing student learners we're going to put our relational safety helmets on so that we don't throw things at each other as we get into some very difficult texts for some of us especially if we have some past wounds here and so the goal is we're going to pick up in verse 18 we're going to march through we're going to kind of walk through these scriptures and then we're going to kind of fillet everything open throughout the rest of this sermon okay so here we go let's get into the word of god today ephesians 5 verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so here's where things get really cool. You see, after Paul says all these things that we should not do that were in the previous verses and all these things we absolutely should do, verse 18 provides the remedy to all of it, and it's to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, that's legit. And we learned that being filled with the Spirit is focusing on Jesus everywhere and all the time in our lives, right? Like every circumstance, asking Jesus what he would do and imitating him towards that end. All right, let's keep track in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks 
always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I love how practical Paul begins to break down what the spirit-filled life should look like. He doesn't start off with miracles and walking on water and prophecies or the mystical. He starts off and he gets focused on the practical. Do you see that in the verses? Because the rest of the book of Ephesians, Paul details what the spirit-filled life is supposed to look like for you and me as children of God. And today we're going to be talking about what the spirit-filled life looks like from the vantage point of men marriage, folks. And Paul says we got to sing and be glad and to be of good cheer in our marriage. And then he says we need to give thanks for everything in our marriage. Do you see that? Give thanks for everything, folks. Marriage is a part of that everything. No matter how difficult it is, our spirit-filled position makes the impossible become possible. Those seven identifiable blessings of God that we learned about in chapters 1 through 3 become the sevenfold fuel to get the work done in Christ right now in our lives. Let's keep tracking verse 21. Okay, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, I broke this down faithfully over the last hour and a half last week. There's no way this marriage thing works without glad submission to the varying degrees of authority that God places within the institution of marriage. Husbands and wives need to submit to one another, but they got to do it with God in the picture. Now, let me show you a picture of that right now in verse 22. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Oh, man, that's good. Like, can't you see? It's as to the Lord. That's the clause. And that's really, really important. It's what seals the deal. It's about keeping God in the picture when you go about submitting. Because when you do anything unto the Lord, it's right. And when you do anything unto the Lord, it's safe. And when you're doing things unto the Lord, are you ready for this? You have his cooperation and his power and his prominence and his protection and his provision and his and his permanency. And then Paul, inspired by God, goes on to give reasons why the wives should get in the game and do this in verse in verse 23. Here it is. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Oh man, now what an interesting thing for Paul to say, right? This is interesting and perhaps it's even confusing. I'm going to be talking about this more today. I can't wait. Let's let's keep going right now as we're tracking through the verses. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Wow. Now, did you know that there are churches everywhere that are not submitting to Christ? Man, they are living and operating on and only submitting to their own ideas and their own opinions and their own perspectives. And it's sad, folks. But the biblical church, the genuine Christ-infused bride, loves Jesus and submits everything unto him. And let me just be straightforward. I want this church to be known for our submission to Jesus above all things. I want I don't want to be primarily known for our worship, nor our preaching, or our kids' ministry, but our submission to God. That's what's going to set us apart. Okay, so in, in, in that same way, in the text it's saying that wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Like that's weighty stuff right there. Everything, 
everything. Okay, now in verse in verse 25, Paul transitions to the husbands. All right, let, let's check this out. He's going back and forth and back and forth. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh man, I'm so glad he added that verse, right? Husbands, aren't you so thankful he describes how we're supposed to love our wives so it'd be clear and understandable? We wouldn't be left to figure it out figure it out on our own. Like loving our wives involves so much more than just saying words. It's more than just paying bills and making sure things run right. You see, God is putting extra weight and energy on the husbands in how they love their wives. Because without that extra weight, come on, fellas, we would do it wrong. Because remember, our base nature is to do everything wrong because we're devoid of Christ. Okay, so Paul goes on now to explain it with a bit more detail by talking about Christ again in relationship to the church. Let's see that in verses 26 through 29. Here we go. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Okay, so I want you to notice as we keep weaving through the text right now, three important characteristics that are being illuminated. You see it, there's the husband, there's the wife, hey, and there's King Jesus. Folks, there's three characters being illuminated. And so Paul is breaking things down and telling us what to do and how to live as spirit-filled husbands and spirit-filled wives. But he's being really clear to make sure that we understand what Christ has already done first. Oh, that's freeing, and it's so key, because that's not only our safety net and our seatbelt and our bank account that allows us to do the impossible relationally in our marriage, it's also what allows us to do the massively uncomfortable, impossible, and often undesired thing, which is to give up our marriage, to completely hand it over as a sacrifice for the purposes of God. Like, are you kidding me? The fact that Christ has done it first, namely giving up his wife and his, I mean, excuse me, his life and his own agenda and his own little deal, being his own little boss for kingdom mentalities. Man, we are now called to imitate him and to follow him as spirit-filled siblings towards the same goal. He gave up his preferences and he did it for his heavenly father. And we are being called to give up our preferences for godly purposes. That's how we become victorious within our marriages, folks. Okay, let's keep tracking to verse 30. Here it is. Because we are members of his body. That's why we're doing verse 26 to 29, because we're members of his body. Check this out. These instructions are being given to husbands and wives because Christ is saying, husbands, you're not just with me. Folks, you are a part of me. And wives, you're not just with me, you are a part of my body. And so he's promising that if you submit to his word with all your heart and all your mind about these things, you're going to be victorious within your marriage. 
That's, that's good news. And isn't that the goal for all of us in every area of our lives? Namely, to be victorious? But even more godly, shouldn't the goal be to make God happy and for us to find satisfaction in Him being happy? Because that's the goal. That's the target. But that requires us being spirit-filled. Spirit okay, let's keep, let's keep going. Verse 31. Therefore, I love therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Why? Because of everything we've been talking about. And hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one. Okay, so here Paul is quoting directly out of the Old Testament. Did you know that? This is the leave and the cleave principle, as we call it, folks. And it's the only biblical principle that's permissible by God regarding sexual relationships. There's, there's so much more for us to discuss here later. Let's keep tracking to verse 32. This mystery is profound. Ooh, we're going to camp out on that today and next week. And I'm saying, I'm continuing on, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What, what does that mean? Okay, verse, verse 32. Here, here's what it means. This is one of my favorite verses. Like, he called marriage between men and women coming together a mystery. It's like Venus and Mars coming together. This thing is bonkers and crazy and ridiculously weird, according to Paul. But in all seriousness, Paul is also saying that this is not just about you and your spouse. This is about Christ and his church. Listen, every stage of life, singlehood, marriage, job positions, everything, we get to live it out, displaying God's glory for God's goodness, for God's purposes. Where on earth did we forget that marriage follows that same track? Why did we forget about that? It shouldn't be. It's about Jesus. Marriage is about Jesus. But we all think at times that things are about ourselves, don't we? Like you do realize that you only get to be here for about 60 to about 80 to 90 years. God has been telling a story for thousands of years and we're simply here to do our part in the movie for a quick cameo. We got to get that in our heads and in our hearts. Man, even though Paul says the mystery of marriage is profound, he's following up and he's saying that every part of it refers to Christ and the church. This is going to be the secret that we're going to be talking about, folks, today and next week about spirit-filled marriages. This is going to be the key and the road to the secret of happiness, getting your marriage off of yourself and onto Christ. Okay, let's track to verse 33. Here it is. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, here Paul gives his final conclusion on the matter, and he says it's really simple. Love and respect. Love and respect, folks. Okay, here we go. Husbands, love your wife. And so whenever you're thinking about how to do that, you got to think of Christ. How did Christ do the love for the church, men? That's how we do it. Did you know that if you were to look up the word love in the Bible, it always is pointing connecting in some way to Christ, Christ is the target, not Hollywood and romantic movies. It's about Christ-centered love. Okay, and for you women, it's to respect your husband. That means to honor him and to cheer for him and to support him and to come alongside him with your whole heart and all of your affections. But sisters, you also need to be spirit-filled in what you expect out of your husband regarding how he loves you. It has to be from a 
biblical standpoint, not what you're seeing in the movies. Because your husband has been called to love you, but it's been it's to love you in a certain way. And it's to love you as Christ loved the church. Now, now, how do we understand what that means? We've got to have a category, a biblical definition for that. And that's what we're going to be learning today and over the next week or so. But according to Christ, these are the two prescriptions. Love your wife, husband, and wives respect your husbands. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, now now here's the key. When the husband is truly pursuing his wife as a spirit-filled man, that's the key, folks. The wife's natural response to that pursuit of her husband is to respect him. But that's if she's healthy and and she's spirit-filled. And when the wife is truly respecting and ultimately devoting her heart and her affections to her husband with radical support from a genuine place in her heart, check this out, the husband is going to be compelled and motivated to love her so well when she does that. That is, if the husband is healthy and he's spirit-filled. Like, can't you see, folks? Each role is complementing one another. They're not equal, but they're complementing one another. We're going to be talking about that more throughout the text today. But above all else, I want you to remember that the whole concept of marriage, this whole conversation is not meant to terminate on just the man and the woman loving and respecting one another. There's there's more that God has in store besides the obvious relationship stuff. And you've got to be spirit-filled, fully focused on Jesus all the time to move beyond the friendship and romantic-centered narratives that we primarily only focus on when we think of marriage, even, even Christ-centered marriages. Because marriage, lean in, marriage was not created primarily for your romantic enjoyment or personal endeavors, but for your partnership with God. Are you tracking with me? It was about a partnership with God as ambassadors for God, for the missional focus of spreading the gospel to the end of the world and preparing yourself and others for eternity. You may not have heard that before. Okay, check this out. Our enjoyment in marriage, are you with me, is to be found in that aim. Oh man, that's this is deep. You are to find your enjoyment, your joy, your your pleasure in that pursuit, joining with your spouse towards that aim, with God's mission for the kingdom as your ultimate goal. Man, that's weighty stuff. That's that's earth-shattering stuff. That's superficial dream-killing stuff. That's self-centered eradicating stuff. That folks is marriage transformational stuff right there. So the question is, who are we then in Christ regarding marriage? Here we go. We are people that are largely called to God's design, wow, of marriage between one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship. We are to approach marriage with the understanding that it was not created primarily for our romantic enjoyment and personal endeavors, but rather it was created for a partnership with God as ambassadors for God for the missional focus of spreading the gospel to the end of the world, preparing ourselves and others for eternity, and our enjoyment is to be found through that journey. 
Okay, so now I'm going to pray and I'm going to hope that the Spirit hacks into everyone's TV today so that no one gets out of this sermon. We got to lean in. We can't run away. No, no squirming, no squilling when things get difficult. Are you with me? No running away, no pouting, no fits, just leaning in with soft hearts and open minds. Quiet your skepticism and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to see what you have for me in today's sermon. And remember, singles and widows, you have a part today, so pay attention and listen with circumspection. Look carefully as we march through. Okay, so here we go. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Abba Father, we do pray right now for your blessing to be honest during this time as we study your word. And so I pray that every man and every woman here would see that your word is enough that your word would truly be more valuable than their favorite Christian author and their favorite Christian counselor and their, their, their friendship circles and their favorite podcasts. Lord, I pray that we would experience the power you've already granted us positionally as spirit-filled people so we can choose again to link into you. Oh, Abba Father, help us to remember ourselves that we've already tapped out to our own ways. Help us remember that we've already looked up told you for our direction. But Holy Spirit, we need your help to stay linked in. Yes, we do. May we be so radically linked in today that we would never disconnect again. Never. So soften our hearts, Lord. Radically soften hearts because there's some marriages here that are really flourishing. They're, they're truly best friends and there's, there's not much adversity. There's a lot of happiness. But Father, they're falling short of the design that you have for them. They're too comfortable enjoying themselves and their families alone while the, while the world is burning around them and they ignore this is not about ourselves, God. Marriage is not about ourselves. It's about your, it's about your kingdom. But Lord, there's also some marriages in here that are barely existing. Bonds have been broken. Hurts have been experienced. And they are desperate for a lifeline. Husbands and wives have sinned against each other terribly, God. And there's wounds, God. And Father, there's also singles and widows here today. They are listening and thinking and stressing and dreaming about what you have for them in their future. So whoever it is, Lord, may we all rally around your word today because it's time to heal, Lord, and it's time to go. So revelation is the prayer request and revelation is the aim, God. Finally, I pray that I wouldn't say anything offensive to you. There is always going to be something offensive I'm going to say about people because we're broken and we struggle to hear truth. So that's not my focus, but Holy Spirit, I don't want to offend you today. You alone are my focus. So help me to preach the word faithfully, and it's because of your beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so today is going to be all about elevating Scripture, folks, above all things. It's going to be about elevating Scripture beyond your preferences and your opinions and your fears and your failures and your bitterness and your control issues and your arrogance and your pride and your laziness and your manipulative tendencies. We all have these things, right? There's going to be no hope for anyone in this conversation about marriage being spirit-filled if we're not going to elevate Scripture above all things. Okay, but here's the good news. The Holy Spirit gives you and me 
power to do that which we cannot do on our own and that which we cannot do at all. And that starts with elevating Scripture above all things. So if, you're, if you've been leaning into the Ephesians series and we've been talking about spirit-filled power, spirit-filled power, you're like, how do I get that? The first step of being spirit-filled, fully focused on Jesus all the time, is to elevate Scripture above all things. Because here's the reality. Some of us, we don't know how to elevate Scripture above all things. But I want you to know you have power in the Holy Spirit, and you can activate that today. And some of us don't want to elevate Scripture above all things. Come on, be honest. But you have power to overcome that faulty that faulty desire. Okay, so instead of throwing this whole thing away and this whole category of submission and authority, we're going to learn some important principles right now so we can see the joy and the future enjoyment that God has for us when we do that. And I want to start off by telling you that this that all this stuff we're going to learn about in this passage in Husbands and Wives, it's not just about us. It's about Jesus. Say that with me. Marriage, say marriage, marriage, okay? Between husband and wife, say it, husband and wife, is about Jesus. That's going to be key. Okay, so let's let's look at that because it's a reminder. This is a reminder in Ephesians 5 that it is going to be okay that you're going to be protected, husbands, as you lose yourself and you deny yourself and you die to yourself for the sake of your wife and your kids, that you don't have to live for your own agenda and your own comfort and your own ideas, always being your own little boss, always choosing to do your own little deal. You don't have to do that, but instead, you're going to have the power to deny yourself for the sake and the betterment of your wife and ultimately, your kids. But I'm equally thankful for the wife's opportunity that we're going to see in Ephesians 5 to know that she can give and ultimately transfer her whole heart and her affections and her time and her dreams. And she can submit that in the context of marriage led by her husband. You can do that, my sister in Christ. And you can confidently and joyfully say, this is my God-given role and responsibility. And it's to love my husband with all my heart and all my son into uh, uh, all my heart and all my soul and all my mind, and I can respect my husband. I can submit to him and follow him as unto the Lord. Man, and I'm bringing that same prayerful hope from, from last week's sermon, that we would walk down the middle ground road of truth here, that we would not get caught off on the left side or the right side, but we would see the middle ground truth of what God has for us in Scripture, that we would ultimately see a glimpse of Jesus in this text right now, and that we would be encouraged, that we would think differently about marriage with Christ-centered headlights on, that we would all say, Holy Spirit, help me to do the things I, I just read today. Pastor Brandon just walked through the text. Now, Holy Spirit, help me to do these things and help me to want to do these things. Because the Bible teaches that these harmonious roles that were given between a husband and a wife are to walk it out. And it's for the benefit of each other and the glory of God and others around them. Let me say it again. This whole harmonious act between a husband and a wife under the confines of marriage is for your benefit, other people's benefit, and the glory in God. And most importantly, hey, pay attention. Most importantly, these commands about marriage were given so that we could fulfill, ready? Fulfill the picture of God and his love for the church. That is a big responsibility. Okay, and so for the, for the singles, you got to lean in and figure out, is this where God's calling you? 
widows. Is this where God's calling you? Is he calling you into or back into the institution of marriage so you can help to be a picture of God fulfilling the church? But here's the thing, singles and widows. But I want both of you in both parties to be able to do that without pressure. Without pressure, because there are so many ways that God activates us to be a fulfillment of the church and ultimately his love for the church. And that, that's going to be important for us to remember today. Okay, so with that being said, let's get into the text. Verse, verse um, um, 22 now, and let's start examining all that God has for us as we march through this marriage text. Here we go, verse, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Okay, so so there there it is right there, ladies. In the Bible, it's clear. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. And it's so important to remember, my sisters, why you're doing the submission in the first place. And it's all, it's all about Jesus. Every bit of your glad and your agreeable and your joyful and your authentic submission to your husband is because you obediently submitted to God first. Oh man, that that's critical. And ladies, always remember that as to the Lord clause, because it's your, it's your beautiful reminder, and it's your hope that as you're submitting to your husband, your husband's being called to submit to Jesus first as well. So that way, you're not left on, a, on your own island wondering how you're going to be ultimately cared for. Are you with me? While you are submitting to your husband, your husband is being called simultaneously to submit to God. And my sisters, God is ultimately worthy of your trust, isn't he? And if your husband is submitting to God, won't God take care of you? That's a question you have, to, you have to wrestle with. Remember, submission is always about, my sisters, remembering God in the picture and Jesus as the target. Okay, let's go to verse, verse 23. Okay, wives, submit to your own husband, that's to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as, what's this even as about? Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Oh man, I love, love, love this comparison between husband and wife and Christ and the church. It's everything. So here's my question. You ready? I want you to answer this out loud. Is Christ the head of the church? Answer it. Is Christ the head of the church? Okay, the answer is emphatically yes, 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 he is. And even though I just asked you the question, is he, I want you to know that this wasn't a vote. I wasn't really asking you to give your vote. I don't have a vote, and I want you to know that. You and I have no vote about whether Christ is the head of the church. I'm only asking you so that you would look down at the text in your Bible or on the screen, and you would acknowledge what is clearly right in front of you in Scripture. Now, now there are definitely churches out here that are not keeping Christ as the head of the church. They're popping up all the time, and I want you to know that they are operating under inerrancy. That it's not faithful. They're going down the wrong path. But let me be very clear. There's no voting here. God did not ask, but Christ assumed the position of head as design. Let me say this again. God did not ask you and me whether we want or we believe that Jesus is qualified to be the head of the church. Jesus assumed that position by design. And it is what it is. Okay, well, this is also true for the husband. This is true for all married men who are married in Christ. 
all marriages. For the marriage that is Christ-centered, there's no voting here regarding men being the head of leadership of their wife and their children in the context and in the confines of a family. Like men, you don't get to opt out from being the head of your household even if you want to. So if you're a man and you're sitting here right now and you're thinking like, you know what? I don't really want to be the head of the, uh, the head leader. I don't really need to be the head of my home. I want, and I think my wife can do some parts even better than me. I think she should be the leader of our house. I believe more in a, a marriage of egalitarian where we do all things equally and I don't need to have the authority to be a leader. Hey, hey, if that's you, Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Regarding your role as a leader, men, wake up. You don't have a vote here. Egalitarianism is not biblical. There's no voting about it. No one asked you. No one asked me what we want to do and how we want to go about it. You are to assume the design as the head of your wife and your family because God commanded and designed you for it. Period. If you are married, you are called, men, to be the head of your wife and your family as Christ is the head of the church. It's a non-negotiable. And listen, this is a tremendous responsibility, right, men, that God's placed before us. And any truly godly man understands that what God is asking of me and what God is asking of you is not some fancy, cool opportunity to go around flexing your control and being domineering. He's not, that's not, this is not a license for that, but rather it's a great weight of responsibility and it's a privilege that God gave us that will, that should be haunting us every day of our lives if we're taking it seriously, right, my brothers? Man, and let me tell you, we are living in a season and in an era where men in the droves of millions, and this is sad, folks, in the droves of millions, there aren't, we aren't rising to the occasion that the Lord has prescribed for us. We're getting lost in terms like egalitarianism. We're, we're, we're getting lost in not assuming our God-given design. In fact, as your pastor, I know many of your stories here at RCC, right? And whether it's your current marriage or perhaps it was your upbringing as a child. And so some of you, you've already been experiencing the effects, right, of the lack of a man in your home or the, or the lack of male leadership ahead, right? A Christian head in your home, and there was brokenness there, right? And there was pain, and there was damage because of that. Like, did you know that recent studies, I want to show you this, recent studies have been put together with some very alarming numbers that men between the ages of 22 and 29 are staying with their moms and dads, or they're staying with their girlfriends, longer and longer, and that um, a, a, a droves of men between the ages of 22 and 29 are now being financially provided for by their moms and dads or their girlfriends. That is so unacceptable. Are you kidding me? And so if, if the question for men isn't, am I a leadership head? That's not the question. Are you, are, are you called to be a leadership head? You are. The only question you get to ask yourself is, am I being a good one? or a bad one? Am I being a good leadership head or am I being a bad leadership head? Am I a participating, responsive leadership head of my home or am I a disengaged, non-responsive head of leadership in my home? Because over 45%, this number was staggering, 45% of all babies born in 2021, folks, this year, are projected to be born without a father in their home. 
Those are the highest. These are unprecedented numbers. I'm going to say it again. 45% of all babies born in 2021 are projected to be born without a father in their home. Folks, we're now approaching half of homes in America. This is, this, is an, this is an all-out epidemic. Like, are you kidding me? Men, we have lost our way. We have lost our way. We have forgotten who God has called us to be and who he's designed us to be. And it's affecting homes in our country, in our nation, ultimately, the world. Because as the father goes, the home goes. And the Bible makes that clear. And so if you're a husband here today and your wife isn't doing well or your kids aren't maturing well or your finances aren't progressing well, it may not be your direct fault, but you better believe it is your direct responsibility. It is your direct responsibility. And that is such an important distinction that I want to make clear. I don't want every man thinking that you are directly, like you are responsible for every little thing that goes wrong in your life or in your marriage or in your families. Like there are things you can't control about your children. You can't. You can be the most faithful dad. You can lean in. You can raise. You can do all that you can, but you can't control everything about your children. You can't control everything that happens in your marriage. You can't control every struggle that happens financially, but you most definitely can respond and do something about it. You can respond as a Christ-centered, spirit-filled man and do something about it. It's just like with Christ, right? Like Christ didn't cause us to sin. No way. Like he didn't make us do the wrong things. No, he didn't make us or compel us to be our own little bosses and to do our own little deals, even though we do it. But as the head, didn't Christ step in anyway? Oh, you better believe he did. Even though he didn't cause us to sin, he didn't do the wrong thing and we did the wrong thing. He stepped in and paid the price anyway. He took responsibility as the head of the church and he did something about it. And he did it in the most perfect of ways. But let's look at the atmosphere now and the character of how Christ took the responsibility and the weight and the pressure of being the head of leadership over the church. Like, how did he do that? Like, did he ever go around saying, hey, all of our problems are not his problems? Did you ever see that in the text? No. No. Did you ever see any text where Christ says, hey, figure out how to solve your own problems? You did this. You don't see that. Did Christ ever rub in our faces and let us know every day how much better he is and stronger he is than us? No, you don't see that. Did he ever condemn us when we fell short and belittle us and berate us and yell at us and domineer over us? No way. We don't see Christ leading that way as a head. Listen, so husbands, you and me, we're not only called to be responsible to help our wife and to help our children with the problems that arise, but we're to do it with great humility, the way Christ did for us in the church. We don't rub it in their face. We don't lord it over them. We don't domineer over them, but with humility and gentleness, but God-given conviction and strength. We step in, we take responsibility. Like, men, do good for your wife, do good for your children, and let God reassure you when you feel inadequate. I'm going to say that again. Do good for your wife, do good for your children, and let God be your reassurance when you need it. Don't put that, and don't demand that from your wife and kids. Don't take your insecurities and put it on your family. Take your insecurities to the cross where Jesus can, where he can ultimately equip you. That's so important. And don't you ever forget that. This authority that God has given you, men, it doesn't belong to you in and of yourself. It doesn't belong to me. Me and you are submitting secondary heads at best. And Christ, he's the reigning and the ruling 
primary head. Oh, sisters, I'm going to say that to you again. Here's your hope. We, men, we are the secondary heads at best. When we are spirit-filled, fully focused on Jesus all the time, and we really do all of our part, we land at secondary heads. But Christ always will be the ruling and reigning primary head over everyone's life. Praise Christ. These men in your life, your husbands, me, myself, we are simply holding down the fort and teaching, hopefully, our wife and children who Christ is as we try our best to be imitators of him. And it's a huge responsibility. Okay, so, so, so merry men, who, who are we? Here it is. For those who are married, you are called by God to lead your marriages by design, not desire. That, that's deep. There's no voting here. You are to redeem the institution of marriage by putting the value and the purpose back in your God-given responsibility as responsive, sensitive, and compassionate leaders to the family unit. You are to be participating, responsive heads, not disengaged, non-responsive heads. You must walk with great humility, knowing that you are simply submitting secondary heads to King Jesus, the reigning primary head over your life. This will set you up to have a proper orientation in how you exercise your authority over your wife and children. This is God's design for the married man. Oh, man, that's good. Let's now go to verse 24. Okay, now as Christ submits to, uh, excuse me, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so does the church love Jesus? Let's ask you some questions. Does the church love Jesus? Absolutely, right? We love Jesus. This is why we gather every single Sunday. It's what we're doing. We're trying to show our affections for Jesus. Okay, does the church have its own voice? Absolutely, the church has its own voice, right? So church, this church down the street sings this way. This church chooses to activate their voice that way. We're, we're using our voice. Okay, do we speak our mind in church and in prayer to God? Absolutely. I guarantee you, if you go to different churches, they're praying and using their mind to pray on different things. There's a lot of free will going on. Okay, does the church have free will to make decisions and to operate? 100% right. There's some churches that are deciding they want to expand their building. There's churches that are giving more money to missions. Churches are having free will and they're making decisions, aren't they? Okay. Do we consider a church beautiful? Answer this question. Do we consider a church beautiful when it uses its purpose and its gifting and its free will and its own mind and says, I'm doing it all for Jesus? Absolutely, right? That's what we would call a beautiful church. So the church that loves Jesus and the church that follows Jesus and the church that activates their free voice and their free will for the purposes of Jesus and the church that uses their gifts and their finances and their affections for the purposes of Jesus, man, that's the best, most attractive, most legit church on the planet, isn't it? Because I believe with my whole heart that when you have a church that's operating like that and it's healthy and it's living out its purpose, it's the great hope of the world because the Bible says so. There's no better thing, there's no better person, and there's no better organization than the church when it's spirit-filled and it's operating and using its voice and its free will and its finances and its affections and all that it has and it's saying, I'm going to take all of it. And I'm going to make it towards the purpose of God. Okay, and God is saying in Scripture, you ready for this connection, ladies? And God is saying in the Scripture that that's what the wives are. Wow, the wives are the picture of that. 
That's incredible. When a wife chooses to use her voice and to lift up her husband, you have a voice, lady. That breath, you can do whatever you want with it. God's giving you free will. But when you choose to use it for your husband, when the wife activates her free will, you have free will. Your husband doesn't control you. When, when you use your free will and you speak your mind, but you use your free will and your mind, that God-given power in your mind, and you use it to flan into flames the purposes that is in your husband for the vision of the family when you do that. When the, when, when the wife, when you, sister in Christ, activate your own decisions, and you rightly, rightly have your own decisions that God gave you to make, and you take those decisions, and you submit them under your husband, and you choose to follow him. When you take your free will and your free mind and all this freedom that God has given you, Christ-centered liberty, and you submit it to your husband, this type of spirit Field, wife becomes the great hope of her marriage and she is an example to the whole world of what the church is supposed to be are you kidding me what a responsibility my sisters that god has given you oh man you have been given the responsibility of demonstrating what the church is supposed to be like in relationship to christ and you're to demonstrate that to the whole world and how you place your husband as the head of your life he doesn't take your free will you submit it he doesn't cancel out your free voice but you submit it and when you do that you're showing the world this is what christ and the church and how the relationship works Oh, man, and God says in Scripture that the best way you can do this demonstration is to submit submit to your husband. And the word everything in the Greek lexicon, ladies, it means everything. Submit in everything to your husband. Okay, so, so married woman, who are you? Here it is. For the married woman, you are called by God to use your free voice and free will and your individual mind towards the glad submitting purpose of lifting up your husband and the purposes that he establishes for your marriage, family, and trajectory of life. You are to do this with great reverence and respect. You are to do this with your eyes radically focused on Jesus, remembering the great responsibility you have as an image bearer of the church's responsibilities. This is, this is so amazing. As, uh, uh, has, as an image bearer of the church's responsibility of glad and affectional submission to Jesus, you are to be the perfect Helper to your husband towards God's mission as your primary focus. This is God's design. Okay, let's keep tracking now to verse 25. Here it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh man, you see the text, Paul, who is inspired by God, is going back and forth and back and forth, and he's filleting open this whole thing. Okay, man, Paul is saying it's not just about communicating the words, I do, when you get married. It ain't just about that. I do on that wedding day. Like, like it's easy to get married. Anybody can say I do, but it's a whole lot harder. It's a whole lot harder to stay married and to keep loving your wife unconditionally for the next 50 and 60 years, isn't it? You got to be spirit-filled for that. Now, let me tell you what. Every husband wants so desperately to be respected, don't we? We want to be respected as men. But if you really want that respect, my brothers, you have better start learning how to love your wife more 
than your own body, as it says in the text. And listen, if there's not love and harmony in your home, my question to you, my brother, my question to you, husband, is what are you focusing on? If there is not harmony in your home, what are you focusing on? And it should be to bring back that harmony in your home. You've got to be a participating head of leadership. You can't disengage when you know there's not harmony in your home because you've got to love your wife well. You have got to love your children well. So if you are a young man right now and that isn't married, you need to know this right now. If you want to step into the institution of marriage, your primary focus above all things on the earth is to love your wife and your children and to do that to do that well. And so if your marriage isn't going well, no matter what the reason is, my brothers, it's on you as the husband, period. It's not up for debate. It's on you. You may not be the cause of the situation, but you are directly responsible to do something about it. Okay, let's keep tracking verse 26 and 27 because we have so much to discuss. We got to prepare for next week because this marriage is not just about love and respect. You read those books? Love and respect. Love and respect. No. The whole concept of love and respect in the confines of marriage is to free you up relationally to stop terminating on yourselves because there's marriage and light of eternity at stake. And we're going to get to that later, but I got to keep marching the text. Here we go. Verse 26 and 27. Here, here, here's the word of the Lord. Verse 25 said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Oh man, that's good. Okay, so this idea of washing the church through the water of the word, this is how we as a church will find our strength in the times where we need it most, namely through the word of God. This is how you and me as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, stay clean in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness. We are to keep cleansing and washing ourselves with the perfect and clean water that we find ultimately in scripture remember the light the light the light it reveals the blemishes and gives us power to clean them away we talked about that in the mirror example when oh, when we go to the those vanity mirrors the light didn't cause more craters and dirt it just illuminates the dirt and the blemishes that were already there and we can do something about it so, so, so please, 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 brothers and sisters, stay in the Word. That's what Paul says. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word of God so you can be holy and presentable and pleasing to God, specifically in, in your marriage. Like we all know what happens when we start to venture off track and we get further and further away from our Sunday morning rhythms or our time in the Word and our listening to sermons or our devotions, right? We start to get dirtier and dirtier and the light gets darker and darker and then we become Exodus forgetful creatures, right? Like the people of Israel who kept forgetting who God is and what God had, what God had done. And we start acting like pigs in the mud instead of sheep following a mighty shepherd. We, we can't do that. So stay in the word. Now, specifically, when we think about husbands and wives in the context of this scripture, Paul is telling the husband specifically to wash their wife with the word. Okay? He's saying, husbands, wash your wife with the word. And I'm going to do a quick and brief teaching on this for us today. 
because it's going to be transformational. Okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Husbands, wives lean in. This is going to be legit. When God commands husbands to wash their wife with the word, the original term in the Greek lexicon is not logos, which means the written word. This is big. This is a paradigm shift for me. When you see that text in the Greek, it is not using the word logos, which means written word, but rhema, which means action of utterance, or in other translations help you out, the spoken word. Oh man, that's legit. Like, can't you see? This changes everything, 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 everything about how you lean in in your marriage. God is literally saying, husbands, love your wife by washing her with rhema, meaning wash her with the spoken word of your mouth about the things of God as you encourage her on to the Lord. Are you kidding me? So when the husband speaks rhema, not lagos, rhema, when he offers an audible message of hope in Christ, he literally helps his wife to heal, grow, and to sanctify. That's legit. His wife will grow in stature, security, and confidence as he speaks rhema over her life. This verse isn't necessarily talking about reading Bible verses with your wives. Do you know how many times we do that? Oh, sit down with your wife and do devotions together. That's good. That's a good and right and true thing. But that's not what Paul's saying in this text. He's not talking about sitting down and reading things together in the Bible and reading the uh, devotions together. He's saying, hey, you're called do that as a supplement. But let me tell you what you're called to do. You are called in the context of marriage to speak an audible message of rhema about the words of God into her heart. You are to literally give her rhema to bolster her God-given identity in Christ. Okay, husbands, lean in. So you are to spend time in the logos, the written word, so that the word is so in you that you are able and equipped to speak rhema to your wife out of your heart about what you know in the logos word. Oh man, this, this is important. And when this happens, there's a washing and a cleansing that's happening and it makes your wife become beautiful. That's what the text is saying. She becomes splendor. Oh, man. And this is what Christ does for the church, right? The whole book of Ephesians is him speaking rhema. We wrote down the rhema, but he was speaking rhema to the church in Ephesus through, through Paul. This whole marriage thing, folks, are you seeing this yet? It's pointing to something greater, more redemptive, so glorious, but we're not ready for that yet. So let's keep, let's keep going because this is about something bigger than what we think about. This is bigger than husbands and wives. This is bigger than romance. This is bigger than pleasantries and niceties and best friends forever. This is bigger than love and respect books. This is about marriage in light of eternity, but let's keep tracking. Okay. So here's the things, wives. Uh, here's my advice. You are not commanded to do this, not in that text, but you should get in on the deal too, right? Like even though God doesn't command you in scripture how to do this, how much better would it be if you are offering rhema, the spoken action of utterance to your husband as well. Like, try this out. Just pop in the room tonight. Go and offer and lavish your husband with rhema. Go offer him. Don't, don't read a Bible verse and try to correct him. 
Don't read a Bible verse and try to condemn them. Don't sit around and maybe read the devotion together. But what if you just walked into the room because you're a spirit-filled sister in Christ and you spend time and you're marinated in the word of God and you went in the room and you offered Rhema and you said, I just want you to know, babe, that you are the head of this home and this is God's design for you and that I believe in you and I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to give him some Rhema and watch what happens to your husband's heart. Okay, let's, let, let's keep going. Verse, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. Oh, man, that's legit. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know what the inverse says? If you don't love your wife, you're not loving yourself very well. Okay, hey, men, here's my question. How often do you think about yourself? <laughs> Come on, men. You know the answer. All day long, we think about ourselves. We, we say things like this, right? What do I want to eat? I'm, am I hungry? Am I hungry? Uh, what do I want to do next? Should I work out today or should I not? Where do I want to go? What TV show do I want to watch? Should I pay this bill? You're constantly talking and thinking about yourself, aren't you? You're constantly checking in with what you're thinking and what you're wanting and what you're feeling. Okay, so that's how you are being called in Scripture to approach your wife and kids, considering them in your mind and in your heart all the time. This is what the life of marriage is all about, folks. Husbands, this is what your call is towards. All day long, focusing on your wife and your kids, but not just in superficial, only my family matters type of ways, not just in sexual, I just want to sleep and, and have sex with my wife all the time, and she's just an instrument of my sexual pleasure type of way, but in redemptive, God-centered, I got a purpose for my life type of a way, in a I'm in a marriage in light of eternity type of way, in a way that, that recognizes that you are stewarding your wife and your kids in the context of a family family towards a specific goal with a specific purpose with the destination that God has for them and others of eternity. If you can't tell, this whole sermon is pointing, folks, to next week. This sermon is not complete and exhaustive. It is a step stool to where we're going next week. Keep, keep leaning in. And remember, you have got to be spirit-filled to do all this, husbands, because the Holy Spirit equips you, remember, to do that which you can't do. And you most definitely cannot consider and be mindful of your wife and kids all the time. You can't do it on your own. And you definitely don't always want to do it on your own either, right? Let's just be honest. So we need to be spirit-filled, focused on Jesus so we can do that which we can't do. So God can give us new categories and that which we don't want to do when we're being lazy and we're not leaning in to our God-given design. Okay, and if you do it on your own strength, you're going to fail every time, man. Don't do that. Use Christ's strength, not your own. Okay, here we go. Verse 29 and verse 30. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay, I really do want to want you to see how all this is going to be getting connected now. You see, this isn't just about you and your wants and your desires. There's a bigger story going on here. We keep saying that. There's something going on beyond yourself, and we got to see that. And so I don't want you to make the mistake thinking that this verse is talking all about each other. Husbands, this is not just about what you need to do for your wife. Wife is not just about what your husband needs to do for you or what you need to do for your husband. It's not. It's about getting out of each other's way. Are you, are you, are you track with me? God in his wisdom. You know, so many of the Old Testament laws were not in and of themselves the point. There was a greater point. When God was saying, stop murdering children, stop throwing them in pits of fire, that's not the point. 
The point was, I need you to stop doing this so you could start doing that. Don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. And so all the things we're learning, it's not just about marriage in and of ourselves. It's about getting out of each other's way. He's giving us a manual because he knows where we get stuck. He knows the original sin and what a wife was going to want from her husband and what a husband was going to want from the wife. And he's saying, hey, wife, do this. Hey, husband, do this so that both of these needs can can be met so that we can get to the ultimate point. Man, and it's a mission of a partnership towards Jesus. That's legit. And the way to support each other towards God's mission is to radically support each other and to care about each other and to nourish each other so God's redemptive work and missional kingdom focus can begin. That's the point and that's the destination, folks. That's marriage in light of eternity. That's, there's, there's a little snippet right there. It's one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship, right? I've been saying that for about the last five sermons, but let me, let me add now what comes after that. Marriage is one man and one woman in a monogamous relationship that then turns their relationship into an instrument of gospel reconciliation for the world around them. Oh, man. And I want to say this gently because I know there's a lot of pain right now involving this concept or this institution of marriage. Like, let, let, let's talk like this. There's singles, right? There's singles listening today, and you've been a single much longer than you want to. And so there's pain, and this sermon isn't there. I want to be mindful of that. There's, there's marriages that are really messed up in sin right now, and, and, and this is a painful sermon, and I understand that. I want to be mindful of that. There's, there's widows right now listening, and they're really, really lonely, and this is a really sensitive area, and I, and I know it's painful, and I want to be sensitive to that. There's a lot charged in this conversation, and I get that there's a lot of pain. So I want you to know as gently but as faithfully as I can, that God is making it clear that the husband and the wife are to be one, and that that oneness is not to terminate on one another. It's not to do that. Marriage is not primarily about your joint wants. It's not. And it's not about your joint dreams. That is, until your joint wants and your joint dreams have first been submitted to God. And until that moment happens and you've been transformed by Christ, and if you don't have a renewed spirit and a transformed transformed mind, hey, your joint dreams and your joint wants not submitted to Christ and his word is going to lead to marriage strife, pain, and division. Or it's going to lead at least to busyness and distraction and disproportionate pleasure-seeking and contentment in and of yourself and your children, and most importantly and devastatingly, away from the mission of God that he created your marriage for in the first place. Man, folks, if you want a biblically-centered and successful marriage, get your eyes off of yourself. Are you tracking? If you want a biblically successful and centered marriage, get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes disproportionately off of each other as primary objects of each other's affections. No, that's not faithful. And partner together towards the redemptive purposes of God as your primary focus and place of affection. And guess what? Each and every one of us inside this church We're all called to be one. 
Every single one of us. Pay attention. There's no room in our marriages and in our churches for people to be ambassadors primarily of themselves or ambassadors primarily of just their own families or ambassadors of only their biological, biological families. No, we are called to be ambassadors for the good of others, for our benefit, and ultimately for God's purposes and for his glory. We are to be a God-centered family, taking our individualism, taking our marriages, taking our families, bringing them together as one, not creating our own little tribes, trying to do our own little deal, coming together as one for the purposes and the kingdom of God. Marriages, churches, none of them and none of it is primarily about you and just your family as an individual unit. The world does not revolve around you and your wants and solely your own biological family's desires and pain and circumstances. I'm sorry. Spirit-filled people have to live daily submitting to one another and bringing our families together in one home, becoming the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. And this leads to our important takeaway. The institution of marriage was designed to work when a husband and wife radically support each other with care, love, nourishment, and devotion towards God's redemptive work. Okay, so that care, that love, that nourishment, that devotion, there's all kinds of books in Lifeway, Lifeway, right? Love and respect, love dares, all these things. You got to do that. We want that. That's important. God wants that. It's in the text but it's towards God's redemptive work. Marriage was not primarily created for pleasure and personal enjoyment in and of itself, but for the work of gospel reconciliation and the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, amongst all peoples as a demonstration of the perfect relationship between the fully satisfied trinity. The husband and wife are to, be, are to have a renewed spirit and a transformed mind that sees the great enjoyment of a life partnership centered on the purposes of Jesus lived out together. This, is, this not only sets the stage for a gospel-centered marriage, but a gospel-centered family unit and church. A marriage that takes their eyes off of Jesus as the target and places the focus on themselves or each other is a marriage outside of God's design, no matter how much earthly pleasure and unity is experienced. Okay, so you know there are two major things that have always amazed me. There's two major things that have always amazed me about weddings, seriously, especially Christian weddings, when considering God's command to be one. Okay, here, here we go. I've always been amazed when I come to a Christ-centered wedding to support a friend or a loved one, and I see the groom and all the groom's family sitting on one side of the room, and the bride's family and all the bride's um, family and friends sitting on the other side of the room. Like, we come to celebrate this big opportunity where we come together into one with a room that's signifying that this is who I'm here for, and this is who I'm here for. And if you really start to think about it, it's crazy. We literally and physically are demonstrating separation in a ceremony that's celebrating two people becoming one under God. We, we say with the position of our seating, I'm here primarily for, for, for my person in this wedding, and that's the groom, and, and I'm here primarily for, for my person in this wedding, and that's, and that's the bride. But how much more God-glorifying and redemptive would it be for, um, for the parents of both bride and groom to sit together 
in glad unity. What would that picture signify? For strangers from opposite sides of the world, right? There's all the, this whole life that the bride had, this whole life that the groom had. And then these strangers come together and they sit together and they talk and they exchange in glad unity, symbolizing the harmony of what this wedding is supposed to be about in the first place. Like, wouldn't that be so much more Christ centered? Man, I can't wait for my next opportunity to lead a wedding here at Redemption City Church to encourage a couple who is sitting with me in premarital counseling to redeem their wedding ceremony. Are you with me? To put the value and the purpose back in why and how they even do their wedding mechanically. Like, to be countercultural and God glorifying in how they even set up the structure of. The wedding, I love being intentional like that. But, but do you know what else amazes me? Oh, man, this really amazes me, and it's an amazement in the wrong way. I, I, I'm really amazed at how many Christian people who show up to that wedding, right? Four, 500 people show up to the wedding declaring their, 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 their affections and their support of this, this unified um, couple becoming one, right? And then I'm surprised at how many people are not there when that same couple files for divorce, 500 people show up and say, we're, we're, we're standing as witnesses in support to this marriage under God. But you know how many people were there at the divorce court? Usually no one, maybe one or two. Where are we? Literally hundreds and hundreds there on the wedding day. No one's there at the divorce court. Why is that? We are not called to do marriage on our own. And when we start to isolate ourselves, folks, and darkness seeps in, we become the playground for the enemy. I believe that half of marriages in Christian churches that end in, that end in divorce could easily, easily be redeemed if the people of God surrounding them didn't passively watch and, and stand idle by as the cu couple struggled more and more and the relationship sank and ultimately ultimately failed. Folks, that's not Christian. You're not supposed to watch your brother and your sister struggle and do nothing about it. That's not what it means for us to be one spirit-filled church, but that requires a spirit-filled, fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time type of a marriage, submitting to one another. We need marriages that are submitting to other marriages. That's going to require the husband and the wife to submit their marriage to the pastors and the elders of that church. Not when it gets bad, but when it's good. Like right now, are you submitting to the elders and the pastors? Are you doing check-ins saying, hey, pastor, we just want to sit down and have a check-in about our marriage. Do those type of things so that when the difficult seasons of life come, someone has authority over you to help you and to steer the compass. We don't need anyone over us. We're always a good team. Folks, I've been married for 15 years. I have counseled people who've been married for 30 years. You will not always be on the same page. And if you don't have someone who can be a mediator, who can step in with you, you're going to be left to your own devices. It doesn't have to be that way. And that requires the husband and the wife to submit their marriage to other couples as well. Why? So you can have accountability, love, and perspective. Half of the marriages that end, no one saw it coming. Did you hear about brother and sister so-and-so at our church? No, I didn't hear. What happened? They just got a divorce. They got separated. Oh, my God, they were such a nice couple. No, they weren't. They were in the dark, struggling. But because they didn't have accountability, Love and perspective. By the time everybody else found out, it was too late. Live in the light, folks. What are you ashamed of? In Christ, you don't have to be perfect. 
In Christ, you can lean upon other marriages for encouragement, right? To be spurred on and have accountability. Okay, so that's also going to require, though, this spirit-filled type marriages under one spirit-filled church. That's going to require couples to submit their lives to the same married couple by getting over the fear and the awkwardness of intervening and interjecting when darkness is abounding. So it's not just the married couple opening their lives, it's the other married couple being willing to step in and to speak life. And that requires you in your marriage to get off of your own agenda and your own little deal, always focus on being only your own little boss, only focus on your own family and your own kids and your own, my biological family is above all things. My biological family is above all things. No, it's not. The church is above all things. And so you got to get out of your house and you got to get out of just your family so you can be available for other marriages and couples and kids and everything everything else. And I know I'm talking about a sensitive area right here, and some of you may have been impacted by this. And trust me, I'm not minimizing your story at all. I'm not seeking to condemn you in any way at all. But we have to talk about this stuff, folks. At this church, at RCC, we read the Bible, then we talk about the Bible, and we deal with what God says in the Bible. We don't run away. We don't shy away from things. Otherwise, history, folks, is going to keep repeating itself, and there's going to be wounds and pain and divorce and fatherless homes, and we want to be redeemers of our area. We want to be redeemers of the Beaverton, Hillsboro, Portland area, and that starts by facing the text, submitting to the text, and ultimately worshiping the text in our lives. Okay, and I want to remind you that marriage was designed with Jesus as the target in relationship to the church as our missional focus of spreading the gospel to the ends of the world, preparing ourselves and others for eternity. But folks, that mission, it cannot occur in our marriages if they're, focus, if they're always focused on ourselves and we're dividing and we're divorcing and we're separating from one another. Okay, so, so here's, here's another um, important takeaway as we prepare to land the plane. The institution of marriage is not only about one man and one woman becoming one, but the surrounding community of God's people guiding and protecting that covenant. In other words, marriage is not to be done in isolation, but in a multitude of accountability relationships. This establishes protection for the married couple in times where struggles are, are abounding, and in times of prosperity, it promotes other-centeredness as you pour your life out to others in need. You need to read this one again later, because this is, this is important, and this is God's design. Okay, now let's keep tracking to verse 31 and 30 through 33. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and mother and hold fast. Are you with me? Hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Oh man, what's the mystery? That it refers to Christ and the church. Oh man, I, I can't wait. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I'm not going to venture too deeply into these two verses today. They are weighty and they are big. And this is really going to be where we camp out next week when we talk about marriage in light of eternity, this, 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 this mysteriously profound part of the text. Instead, I want to set us up 
so we can have a really, really good concluding conversation um, next week. Okay, so, so today we had three main aims of the sermon. Let's walk back through that and let's see how we did. Number one, it was to help you and me understand submission and relationships and how that works in the confines of marriage. And I'm hoping you can see that a little bit better today, a little bit more clear today, that submission is a good and a right and a true thing when you keep God in the picture and Jesus as the target. Number two, it was to get you radically prepared for marriage for you for you to prayerfully consider the journey, okay? So it was to prepare you for marriage and to prepare you to consider if this journey is for you. And I'm hoping that you now know how important it is to to utilize your marriage as an instrument of gospel reconciliation for the whole world. I'm hoping you're seeing that now. That's the point. That's a real biblical marriage, folks. It's about marriage in light of eternity. And finally, okay, so, so number three was, is to get you back on track in your marriage if you're already married. So if you're married already, it's to get you back on track so the wheels don't have to fall off. And though everything that we talked about doesn't solve all of our problems, and we haven't really exhaustively looked at everything yet, we have laid, I believe, a faithful and a biblical foundation to plant some really powerful seeds so we can have an amazing sermon next week as we flip the whole script on what the world says marriage is, what postmodern Christianity says marriage is, and what our comfort-seeking churches say marriage is. All three of them I want to tear down in Christ next week. So, so, so hopefully we're understanding submission and relationship. Singles and widows, hopefully you're starting to think and marinate about what God has for you. And married couples, prayerfully you're seeing the adjustments that need to ultimately be made. So next week, we will explore marriage, family, and life, all in light or aimed towards eternity and what it means for us to do that spirit-filled so we can enjoy the lives that God has ahead of us and for us by his design. But I want to warn you right now that the end goal of next week's sermon isn't to provide a rule book to make you more happy in your marriages. That's not going to be the end goal. And it's not, it's, it's not about that. It's not going to be about terminating on itself for happiness. Happiness and enjoyment are good gifts that God gives in marriage, but it's not the point. And the goal is not to provide a vehicle of condemnation for spouses to use my sermon as a sword to cut one another. That is definitely not the point but it's to heal, reconcile, and to get our focus off of each other disproportionately so we can get our eyes on Jesus. Okay, so the goal is to share God's remedy in the text and to find joy in that, which is often lacking in marriages. But we got to do that from God's economy of thinking and his value system. And that means that our marriages are not going to look not if we're spirit-filled. They're not going to look like what we see in the movies that we read in our books and that we're watching on TV. But rather, what we're going to be talking about next week is going to be all about discovering a much more beautiful, lasting, enduring life in marriage. And it's namely going to be prescribed in the Bible. And every bit of your flesh, listen to me, every bit of your flesh is going to want and try to resist the clarity of what we're going to talk about next week. And maybe it's already starting this week. And you're going to have to tell your old man, no, 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 when that moment 
occurs. You know, it's crazy how many people abuse the phrase from Ephesians 5 verse 32 when Paul says, the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And they often say, oh, oh, see, and they use it as ammunition. See, 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 Pastor Brandon, even the Bible says that marriage is, isn't fully clear and that it's a mystery. Even Paul says it's a mystery. See, we, go, we can all do marriage how we want, like whatever's true to our hearts. It, it, nobody really knows. No pastor, no church really knows. It's a, it's a profound mystery. Folks, folks, that's a dead, wrong interpretation of the Word of God. Marriage is crystal clear in Scripture. God made no blurry parts about marriage at all. Marriage is a picture of something beyond itself, and it's towards the image of Christ and the church. That's the mystery. The mystery isn't whether God was being clear about marriage. The mystery is that he, that marriage is doing a picture. It is pointing as a shadow to Christ and the church, and that just was profound to Paul. God's not the author of confusion. He didn't create the issues of marriage and then say it's confusing, it's a mystery, and then nobody can understand. That's not what it means. Listen, within the pattern of marriage, we see Jesus is calling for more. That's what's happening. In this marriage that is being described in the Bible, Jesus is, is calling for more than external, surface-level relationships. He's asking the husband to go deep. He's asking the wife to go deep. He's calling for the man and the wife to have something deeper. But stop. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't terminate there. But the profound mystery is that we're not the point. Christ is. And the church is. Family and friends. In a sense, marriage is painting a picture that Jesus is incomplete without us as the bride or the church. Whoa, 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 Pastor Brandon. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Not incomplete literally like he has a need, but incomplete meaning the intended design in which he willed for it to be. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is not incomplete as if he needs something from us. It's a type of incompleteness because he designed it to be a certain way, and he's reconciling it back to that. Oh, man, can't you see? Adam was incomplete without Eve. So we can say that Eve makes up the fullness of Adam. Okay, this is what Christ is talking about with us in context of the church. That's what we do for Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23 says, The church, which is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Remember that in Ephesians 1, 23? That's what it means. That's the mystery that baffled Paul. It's like Paul was thinking, wow, Jesus, so you created marriage to say to the church, and that's what I want from you. Taste it. Get focused. Bring that back to me. Here's marriage. Husband, do this. Wife, do this. Do you feel the deepness of this? Do you feel how sacrificial this is? Hey, hey, now, go do that for me in the church. Whoa, is what Paul is saying. That, that's deep. And I'm praying some marriages today here at RCC would sign up for that over the next couple of weeks. And you would say, man, I want my marriage to demonstrate that. I want my marriage to be targeted towards that. And listen, no one said this whole marriage thing was going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But with Christ, I'm telling you, you can do it because God, God says so in his scripture. Spirit-filled men and spirit-filled women Hey, 
you can do this. Now, now, singles and widows, I promised you I wasn't going to forget you today, right? So I hope you've been leaning in to everything we talked about today. You see, I also believe there's a reason why Paul said in 1 Corinthians this, and it's going to be on your screen right now on the bottom. Ready? Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. Did you notice in the Bible? Watch this. Because it's a simpler life in many ways. But I know it is not for everyone any more than marriage is. Oh, man, do you see this? I'm going to talk about that next week. I know it is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Man, and what Paul is saying here is that being single or a widow is a beautiful opportunity to focus on God and to not be divided with all the complexities of the marriage relationship. Did you know that? Because the reality is marriage takes up a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of affections, and so much spiritual resources. It's a beautiful God-designed call. Yes, it is. Marriage is. But you need to be called to marriage, just like all the disproportionate talk about being called a singlehood. I love this text. Every church is always talking about, you better be called to singlehood because you can't have sex. You better have a call from God. No, folks, you better be called to marriage. You better be called to both. Both need spirit-filled activation by God to do them well. You got to have that. Either one, you need God's blessings. Listen, the call to singleness or where you're at as a widow, which is a new call to singleness, is equally important. And it's God glorifying singles and widows. You are not second class citizens. You are not a call, my brother and sister. If I had time, I would unpack and I would fillet open a, 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 a term that I like to call missional focused singlehood because it's super biblical it is super legit and it is very powerful and much needed in our churches today but we don't talk about it nearly enough and here's the thing folks you not only need to be spirit-filled to do marriage well you actually have to want in your heart the anthem of marriage and what it means for your life do you see what i said i'm gonna say it again it's not just about being spirit-filled to step into marriage. You have to want to be married in the first place. While many of us are absolutely called to be, to be married, yes, we are, and we need to submit our lives in our marriage, and we need to keep going through the process of dying daily to ourselves, and while many of you who are single are called to marriage, and you need to learn to die daily and to submit in these areas so you can become available, not only for your spouse, but for the world around you, Lean in. Lean in with me. I firmly believe with all my heart, all over the text, that God has called many more than we, than we like to talk about, but they can't step into singlehood because of the shame and the cultural pressure and the church pressure to get married so that they can be totally and freely freed up to be the singles that God has called them to be. Like how many small groups or, 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 or marriage sermons do you go to where, where you listen to a sermon and you feel like you're less than as a single? Man, I apologize on behalf of every pastor and every church who has been lazy and laggardly in their exhortation because I want to lean upon Paul in the text where he says, hey, some are called to this and some are called to that. You need to be equipped for singlehood, but you better be equipped 
for marriage. My heart breaks for those who God may be calling to missional focused singleness because there is such low church ecclesiastical support for you. There's such low pastoral care for you or encouragement to spur you on in that direction. I'm so sorry. So to the singles who are considering that aim, keep praying and keep leaning in. Keep discerning what the Lord has for your life. I will partner with you and help you work that out. Despite what the world and most definitely Christian churches are proclaiming and pressuring on you, your best life may be ahead of you if you faint not on what God is stirring in your heart. Don't listen to that rhetoric. Oh, you better get married, men, if you don't. That means you're this. Or men, women, it means you this. No, you need to go have some pastoral counseling. Take the time. Have mentors. Work out your motivations. But it is a righteous and a God-given, a God-given call. Don't faint not in the process of discerning the, the Lord's will. And for those of you who feel called to the beautiful design of marriage, if you're like, I'm, I'm called to this, Pastor Brandon. Okay, for you, called to marriage. Or if you're already married, next week we're going to go even deeper as we aim to move beyond ourselves and we step towards greater purposes of God. And finally, for the widows, listen, every widow listening today, I don't know why you're a widow. I don't know if you lost your husband by, because of a situation or there's a death or whatever it is. Hey, lean in, lean in. No matter what happened behind you, our God on high has a plan and a purpose for your life. Hey, hey, lean in. And if that means reevaluating marriage, you gotta be courageous. You gotta do that, my brother and sister. You gotta say, God, I wanna be available. Hey, but if you if you're called to walk out the rest of your days as a single, I want you to know you are so legit. You are so loved by God, and you're going to be so loved here at RCC. Yes, you are. You are not at a deficit because you don't have a husband. You are not at a deficit because you don't have a wife. We are fully satisfied and equipped for every good work in Christ. And that's what we've been learning about in the book of Ephesians. And let no one speak any other word over your life. Amen. Now, next week, we've got to talk about marriage, family, and life in light of eternity. And it's time to get back on track to what God has originally called us to do with our lives. And I'm so excited to do that with everyone today. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Oh, man. Heavenly Father. Man, God, your word is so rich, it's so wide, it's so powerful, it's so otherworldly. We don't think like you, we don't talk like you, and we definitely don't behave like you. But Lord, in your love, you sent your son, and he died on the cross, and he rose, Lord, after three days, and he gave us good gifts, and the best gift of all was that we are spirit-filled, adopted children of you. And so now we get to think like you, and talk like you, and behave like you. We get to be imitators of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And so, Lord, as we learn and we talk and we practice this whole imitating you in our marriages as spirit-filled people or imitating you in our singleness as spirit-filled people, may you equip us in a way where we can do the hard things that we don't want to do and we can do the hard things that we feel we ultimately can't do. We can do all things in Christ who strengthens us, and you are our King. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to remember that. And when we have doubt, 
fill it with truth. It's in your beautiful, glorious, redemptive, reconciling, I can fix everything name. We pray. Amen. Grace and peace. We have work to do next week, RCC. Have a good week.